Good morning. So I hope you guys had a good Easter last week. Eating all that nasty candy, bad tasting chocolate, and those little peeps. Nasty peeps. All right, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We've been out of Romans for the last uh, couple weeks. We had Easter last week. We missed last week. And we're back in Romans 6 today. And Romans 6 is a turning point in our series. We discussed this two weeks ago. We said Romans 6 is a turning point in the book of Romans. And we're really just going through Romans uh, 1 to 8 because Romans 1 to 16 would take about three years. And so we're doing 1 to 8 over the course of this semester. And so we looked uh, two weeks ago at how just Romans 1 to 5, we said Romans 1 to 5 really details what God has done for us in the gospel. And so we talked about how Romans 6 uh, uh, to 8, if you wouldn't mind, the back there, there you go, you got rid of it. Um, Romans 6 to 8 is, is all about what God's going to do in us through the gospel. And so Romans 6 is kind of the turning point of the book of Romans. And honestly, are pastors allowed to say things like, this is my favorite text in the Bible? Because it's all inspired, but we, we tend to like land on things and think like, this is my favorite verse, this is my favorite verse. So Romans 6 to 8 is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it, it literally changed my life in seminary. It changed my life in how I view my whole walk with God. And I hope it does the same thing for you guys as we go through it as well. So Romans 6 to 8 is what God will do in us through the gospel. So Romans 1 to 5 is a lot of like abstract stuff, like head up in the clouds, theological truth, big ideas. And then Romans 6 to 8, it's like Paul begins to land the plane and really show how this impacts everyday life. And so we dive into Romans chapter 6 again today. Um, We looked back two weeks ago at Romans 6, verse 1, where Paul is raising a question that the Romans have. The question that they have is this. The the question they're wrestling with is, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? That might seem like a question that you've never asked before, but I know you've asked it in a different way. And the question that you may have posed might go something like this. Um, Okay, if Christianity is based on grace, it's free grace, then why does obedience matter? What's the point of obedience if this whole thing is based on forgiveness and grace? In fact, this is not just a theoretical question because I've had students in the past ask me this question. I had a guy several years ago sit there and look me in the face and say, all right, I've, I've prayed the prayer. I'm a Christian, but um, so, so why should, what's the point of obedience? What's the point of, like, why can't I go out and do this, this, and this, even though I've got salvation, I've got forgiveness, right? And I appreciate his honesty, but I took him right into Romans chapter 6 when he asked me that question. And so I know some of us have asked the question. Maybe you haven't asked it like out loud, but you've asked it in your heart. You've asked it in your mind. Um, You're living out your life in a way that asks this question. And so Paul responds to this question. He's uh, Because the Romans are asking this question. They're basically saying, if we sin, if we sin more and get more grace and grace is good, then what's the big deal? More sin equals more grace. What's wrong with that? And so Paul responds. He says, by no means. He basically says in Romans 6, 1 through 14, he's basically saying, when you become a Christian, you are dead to sin. Your relationship to sin fundamentally shifts and changes. And I used the picture two weeks ago. I said to you, I said, um, when I married my wife, 
my relationship to every other female around my age changed. They, they are no longer potential wife to Dave. It, it totally shifts my relationship to every other female that's around my age, right? Because I'm now in relationship to my wife, to Courtney. In the same way, when you become a Christian, your relationship to sin totally changes and totally shifts. Romans 6, 1 to 14, Paul says, you are dead to sin. Your relationship to sin has totally changed based on Romans 6, 1 through 14. Now, in today's passage, Paul is answering the same question of of 6, verse 1. Um, He's answering the same question, but with a different answer this time. And so we're going to look at, uh, starting in verse 15 here, um, and look at just verse by verse. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So Paul responds to the same question, now with a different answer. He's not not saying now that you're dead to sin. Now he's saying that, that um, that sin is slavery. He's saying, why would you go present yourself back to sin? Because sin makes you a slave. And so now he shifts the, the image, shifts the picture of what he's trying to get at in Romans chapter 6. Before you and I become Christians, we are slaves to sin. Remember last uh, two weeks ago, I brought guys up on the stage, and we talked about how before you are a Christian, you were under sin's power and reign. Whatever sin says you have to do, you have to do it before you become a Christian. All you do is sin, Right? That's all you know how to do before, you're, before you become a Christian. And once you become a Christian, you are no longer a slave to sin. But sometimes it's possible for us to not be a slave, but to still live like one. I also mentioned to you two weeks ago how it's possible for someone to be married, but still live like they're single. In the same way it's possible to be a Christian, to be dead to sin, to no longer be a slave to sin, but still live like you're a slave to sin. So here's the problem in this passage. Paul calls, he he calls sin slavery for us. But here's the problem for me and you, is I'm not sure how many of us really believe that. I'm not sure how many of us really truly see sin as slavery. In fact, if you were to go, go to my next slide, if you were to go on the street and ask people, just anybody to fill in this blank, Okay, sin is fill in the blank. What would they say? What do you think they would say? They're not going to give you the impact definition. They're not going to say, sin is anything you think, say, or do that displeases God. They're not going to say that. They're going to say sin is, like, what do you think they would say? Sin is fun. Sin is rebellion. Sin is disobedience. Uh, they might have some words like that, but they're going to think, yeah, sin. I mean, you've heard, you've seen uh, like food commercials where they'll say things like, it's so delicious, it's sinful, right? I mean, we think of sin being like, yeah, it's, we know it's bad, but it's, it's fun. It's, there's an element of sin that we're attracted to and drawn to. And so I don't think anybody would ever say to you, okay, fill in this blank, sin is what? Nobody would ever say to you, sin is slavery. In fact, I don't know how many Christians would say that. I don't know how many Christians would say, 
yeah, yeah, I know sin is slavery. We, we don't see sin as slavery. We see sin as freedom, right? We see sin as me getting to do what I want to do. This is how you and I tend to view sin. Many people see Christianity as limiting and restraining. We see sin as freedom. We see Christianity as slavery. In fact, I want you to put some real quotes up here on the screen. These are real quotes by real people somewhere in the world. We just don't have their names today. Uh, Christians believe that they have the absolute truth that everyone else has to believe or else. That attitude endangers everyone's freedom. Most don't see Christianity as freedom and sin as slavery. The next one goes like this. A one-truth-fits-all approach is just too confining. The Christians I know don't seem to have the freedom to think for themselves. I believe each individual must determine truth for him or herself. It's common knowledge in our culture for, for, for non-Christians especially to look at Christianity and think, okay, Christians do not think for themselves. They've always got this book they see as authoritative. They've got people on stages just yelling at them from the Bible, telling them what to do. Like, like Christians don't think for themselves. Christians aren't free to be free people and to think for themselves. This is how Christianity is viewed all over the world. And this third quote is actually from a Supreme Court ruling um, in the distant past, and it goes like this. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning of the universe, and the mystery of human life. So the Supreme Court, the, the most powerful court in the land, tells us as Americans that we have the right to define our own concept of existence. Read a different way, you can make your own truth. You get to decide what's true. You get to decide what's right and wrong, depending on your own happiness and your own life and your own preferences. And this is our own Supreme Court telling us this as people. So most of us just don't see, we don't see sin as slavery, do we? We don't see it that way. Um, even as Christians, we don't see it that way. We see God as some kind of a cosmic killjoy. Even Christians see God as some kind of a cosmic killjoy. And I'll give you an example of this. It's very simple. But this idea of God stealing our fun is kind of woven throughout the whole world and all of our existence. So I'll give you an example. Um, take food. You guys are looking at some really awesome food this morning, right? Right? And it tastes good. I mean, there's lots of sugar in those, whatever those things are in front of you. Jay, what is that? Is that a muffin? Is that a swirly cinnamon roll? So, um, so take food. Answer this question for me. Why is it that everything that tastes good is bad for you? And everything that is, is good for you tastes bad? Why is this? Like, like why, can't, why can't a green bean taste like a Twinkie? right? These are the questions I think of late at night. But seriously, wh why is this? It seems like woven into our existence is this thing that like God is trying to kill our joy or, or steal our fun. And I think sin's even like that because most of the time, things we want to do, that's the difficult thing, right? It's not what you deep down in your heart want to do. It seems like if you look at the surface of our world, that God is some kind of a cosmic killjoy where everything that is, is good is really, really difficult and hard, and everything that is bad is really, really fun and things that you want to do if you really boil it down. 
And so the big overarching message of this passage here in Romans 6 is that freedom to sin is not really freedom at all. This is the big overarching passage message of this passage in Romans chapter 6. Go ahead and do your first three questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. All right, so I always try to, I always try to gauge things based on the tables that are like right in front of me. So if, uh, if the rest of you aren't done, I can't, I can't help you on that. But um, uh, So we'll move into the rest of this passage here. Look back with me at verse 15. We're going to repeat verse 15 again. So you have this, verses 15 and 16. It says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is saying that no one is free. Even if you think you're free, like when you reject Christ and walk off into sin, you think you're free, but what Paul is saying is that no one's free. Everyone is a slave to something or someone. You might say it like this. You can be a slave to sin or a servant of God, but you cannot be neither and you cannot be both. So you can't look at life and say, I'm going to follow God, a little bit of God, a little bit of Jesus, but I'm also going to mix in some of what I want to do and how I want to live. Because you can't be both, but you also can't be neither. You can't reject Christ and go, you know what, Christianity is limiting, it's restraining, it's restricting Forget church, forget religion, forget Jesus. I'm going to do what I want to do because what Paul is saying is that you are always a slave to someone or something. If you say no to Christ, you're just a slave to sin. You become enslaved to something else. There is no way to really embrace freedom in the way that we typically think of it, especially before you come to know Christ. It's impossible. Look at this quote by, I love this, this lady's name, Rebecca Manley. You can't see it. It's cut off there at the bottom. But um, Rebecca Manley Pipert is her name. And it says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. If you're saying that you're free, you're just controlled by something else. If you say no to Christ, when you and I chase sin, we're just handing ourselves over to slavery. I want you to look down now at verse 17, because you can almost hear the excitement in Paul's voice in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So we've talked about how sin is slavery this morning, but look at verse 18 where it says you are slaves of righteousness. Now if you're Paul or if you're in his audience, 
wouldn't you think he'd pick a different word than that? Like, don't you think if he's going to say that sin is slavery, don't you think he'd pick a different word than saying, okay, well, we'll just be a slave to righteousness. You know, when you obey Jesus, you're also a slave. Do you think he'd pick a more positive-sounding word than slavery, using the same word to replace the other word? Doesn't make much sense, does it? In fact, some of you might be thinking, if you're not a believer yet, you might be thinking, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me that following Jesus is slavery? Well, that's it. That's why I don't want to follow him. That's what I thought it was. You see, that this is, you're proving my point, Dave. But we have to ask the question, what's the alternative? If you don't follow Jesus, what's the alternative? Because everyone's a slave to something. Following Christ is a different kind of slavery. And we find out what kind of slavery it is and how it's different in verse 17. Look down at verse 17 again. Where it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Do you see that phrase? Obedient from the heart. This is a whole different kind of slavery than what we're talking about when it comes to sin being slavery. This is an obedience that flows out of the heart. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, he changes you and transforms you from the inside out to where you want to follow him. You desire to obey him. You desire holiness. You desire righteousness. Instead of God being the one who lords over his people in oppressive ways in the way that sin does, he changes us so we can be obedient from the heart. This is how the slavery is different in following Christ versus following after sin. This means that in our inner being, we desire obedience, we want to obey. You might say it like this, grace means that we are free from sin, not free to sin. Grace sets us free from the power and the reign of sin. You're no longer a slave to sin if you've come to know Christ as your Savior. Grace is not a ticket to sin. If you're a believer, grace is not a free ticket, license, to do whatever I want. It's not you're dead to sin, but you're also no longer a slave to sin. This verse tells us that you and I used to present ourselves to sin, but look what it says in verse 19. It says, present your members as slaves to righteousness. And then Tim Keller says this quote. He says, slavery to God is the result of an active effort on our part to act out what we know is true of us. Offering our members means... We are to act in accordance with what the Bible tells us about reality. A few months ago, back in November, I went on a mission trip to uh, Dubai in the Middle East. And that was by far the longest flight I'd ever gone. I'd gone, I think my record was like 10 hours before that. This was like a 16-hour flight. And I'm thinking, how do planes have that much gas in them to fly 16 hours? It's mind-boggling. And we fly from Washington, D.C. all the way to uh, Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. And we get there, and we left Washington, D.C. at nighttime, 10 o'clock at night. We landed in Dubai at nighttime. And so my clock is just all messed up. And so you get to Dubai at like 10 o'clock at night there, too. And I'm trying to think of like, okay, I gotta, I'm like wide awake. I'm on adrenaline. I mean, that's a bright light city, you know, it's kind of crazy, and I'm starving, I'm hungry at 10 o'clock at night, I'm, 
I'm, I'm trying to figure out my time. Like, what time is it? Any? I don't even know what time it is in Texas. And so the first day or so, you're on adrenaline. How many of you guys have traveled internationally before? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. So you're in this new reality. You're in this new place now, this new time zone. And, and you have to, what, what you've got to do your first couple of days, you have to train your body and your mind and everything about yourself to live in the new reality. That means that when you start to get really hungry, you might need to wait a little bit because lunchtime is two hours away. You don't want to totally jack up your entire system. Or it's in the afternoon, you're getting real tired, you need to keep yourself a little more awake because when nighttime hits, you'll be wide awake. And so when you go from one reality to a new reality, you've got to start to kind of train yourself when you get there. Otherwise, you'll be all messed up when, you get, when you're there the whole week. And here's the issue is it's a struggle. And when you and I move from the reality of before Christ to the reality of after Christ, it is a struggle to live in the new reality. But as you begin to struggle and, and strive and begin to train and you act out, as he talks here, in the new reality, it gets easier and easier and easier as these things become absorbed into your character and your body and your mind and your soul, you become different because you're living out in faith the new reality, the new time zone. And this is what it means to present yourself as a slave to righteousness. And so look down at verse 20 with me. Look at verse 20. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So yeah, when, when you and I walk in sin, it can seem like freedom. But what this passage is saying to us is that it can seem like I get to do what I want. But the end result of what you and I want is often death. Verse 20 shows us where it leads. It leads to death. Now, I know when most of us hear that, we think of death being, yeah, that's punishment in the future. Yeah, physical death, eternal separation from God if you're not a believer. That's where your mind goes when you think of death. But I think this passage is saying something more than that. I think it's actually saying that that's true of death in the future, physical death and spiritual death in the future. But it also means some kind of death in the here and the now. You might say it like this, sin doesn't just bring destruction at the end of your life. Go to my next slide. Sin doesn't bring destruction at the end of your life, but brings destruction into your life. And it happens in the here and now. I want you to think about some instances of sin in your life. Think about things you've really struggled with. What did it bring your way? What did it bring into your life? What were the end results? The broken relationships, the bitterness, the anger. What were the things that were brought into your life as a result of you and I walking off into sin? You know, there's someone that I know really well from back home uh, on the East Coast, and this person was uh, 16, working at a restaurant. And this 20-year-old girl at this restaurant began to pursue this 16-year-old. Gave her the number. Hey, come over to my apartment. So he began going over to her apartment. They began having sex. 
and they broke up. A few months later, she left that job, and she was gone, and he was still working at that job. And someone came in and kind of knew about their relationship and said, hey, did you hear about her? She has, she's HIV positive. And so this person that I know is, is now freaked out, 16 years old, and wondering, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And so this person is just losing sleep. They are anxious. They don't know where to turn. And so they end up going to the doctor's office to get tested for HIV. And so here they are, 16 years old, sitting in a doctor's office, getting tested for HIV. And then if that wasn't enough, a few years later, they get involved in pornography and just walk down that pathway for a while. And then this person eventually gets married. They have a kid. They have a little daughter together. Then he ends up cheating on his wife. They get divorced. She leaves him. And now that little eight-year-old girl has no daddy living in the house with her. All she has known is just mom and dad separated, divorced, whatever. That's all she's known. When you and I walk off into sin, it doesn't just lead to destruction at the end of life. It leads to death and destruction, and it's brought into your life in the here and now. It comes into your life in the here and now. Sin brings you and I death, all kinds of death. And I know some are on that path right now. You're making decisions that have no end but death and destruction. And I don't have to tell you that. I mean, you've seen it firsthand. You've seen the broken relationships. You've seen the bitterness and the anger and the destruction that sin has caused. You've seen it firsthand. And so I think this picture of sin being slavery is like a perfect analogy that Paul uses here. Because just follow with me on this. Look at at how closely sin is just like slavery. A slave is owned by his master, and sin owns us. A slave has no rights, and sin steals our freedom. You and I are not free under sin. A slave works for small wages, and sin never delivers. No matter what you and I do, sin never comes through for us, does it? There's never been a moment where you've said, okay, this is the, this is the last time I've got to get drunk and get wasted because this was the best one. No, it leads to more and more and more and more. Sin never comes through for us. A slave builds someone else's empire, and sin exploits us. I don't have to tell you how lucrative the pornography industry is all over the world. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. And as people click, 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 click at their computers at night on their phones, someone is making millions and millions and millions of dollars on the backs of those slaves. A slave builds someone else's empire, and sin always exploits us if we live out a life of slavery to sin. A slave has scars. And sin scars our lives. 
You can see it. You can see it in your life. You can see it in my life. You can see ways in which you and I have walked that lead to this kind of thing. And some of you might argue, you might say, you know, I don't, I get what you're saying, but I just don't feel like I'm a slave in the way you're talking about, Dave, if you're walking and living in sin. But I would tell you that, but your life bears the scars that prove otherwise, right? Your life has scars that show the result of what Paul's talking about. Sin being slavery and sin leading to death and destruction. So what are, what are we enslaved to? What are you enslaved to? Is it success? Is it lust? Is it pornography? Is it image? Is it reputation? Is it anger? Are you a slave to your past? Maybe you're just living in shame. But the good news is that Christ wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from this kind of shame, from this kind of slavery. And as I read off these kinds of sins, you might say to yourself, okay, but, but, but I don't struggle with that kind of sin, Dave. I'm, I'm a pretty good church kid. I'm a pretty good Christ follower. I don't feel like a slave. Look deeper. Because I got a verse for you too. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 where Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. What Paul's talking about with the Galatians is a little bit different than like 1 Corinthians or even like addressing the Romans in Romans chapter 1 and 2. In Galatians, Paul is talking to Christians that are legalistic, rule-bound, law-bound, trying to earn favor with God by following aspects of the law. And so when, Saul, so when Paul says yoke of slavery, he's talking about the law, them going back to the law in their effort to um, maintain credit with God. And so he is referring to a legalism here. And now Paul's equating this kind of legalism also with slavery and trying to save yourself by good works, being the good church kid, being the the good image conscious Christ follower is just another kind of slavery. And you and I can't free ourselves from that kind of slavery either. This is why I love Romans because we mentioned at the start of the series that whether you're someone who was like St. Augustine who liked to party or someone like Martin Luther who liked to pray, the gospel sets both people free. The gospel sets both people free. Jesus sets both people free. This is why I love this book, because it's not just for one kind of person. It's for both kinds of people. So look with me now at verse 22, Romans 6, verse 22. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you and I turn our life over to Christ, look at what you and I get. We don't get death. You get sanctification. You get eternal life. You get spiritual growth. You get Christ's righteousness and holiness applied to you. You get life, not just eternal life like in the distant future, but eternal life means here and now. Did you guys know that eternal life starts now? 
If you're a believer, eternal life begins now. Does not mean you don't struggle, but you get a certain kind of life. You get life. You don't get death. You don't get death. And I know with that promise that Paul's laying out here, I know this can be scary for some of us because you're thinking, look, I'm not even a believer yet. All I have known is this. All I have known is this kind of struggle and these kinds of patterns and these kinds of, that's all I've known. Like freedom actually sounds kind of scary as you describe it. In fact, several years ago when I was at a different church, many years ago now, um, there was a kid named Chris Wilkes. And he was a, I think a sophomore, he, got, he just got his driver's license, and he would bring this kid to church with him named Andrew. Andrew and Chris were there at our church quite a bit. I knew both of them pretty well. And one night, Chris began to um, head down the party lifestyle, the party scene. He'd go to parties and stuff and get drunk, get wasted. So would Andrew, his friend. And one night, they steal a friend's car, and Chris is driving. Andrew's in the passenger seat. And they're just going super fast down this road in Arlington, Texas. And what Chris didn't see was there was this black trailer parked off to the right-hand side of the road. He didn't see it. He hits that thing doing like 65 miles an hour. And the car is cut in half. His friend Andrew is killed. And so here he is, a 16-year-old kid, sophomore in high school, just got his license, And now he just killed his best friend. He may have to go to jail. He's got to go to his best friend's funeral. And the blood is on his own hands to an extent. And so I heard all this and I was devastated. I went to go to his home to meet with him and to pray with him and talk with him. And he's just, he's just devastated. And you would think that this experience would make him go, you know what, I'm going to stop living this way. I'm going to live a different way. But that's not what happened. He actually went further and further and further down this pathway of destruction and actually ended up going to jail for something else later on and spent some time in jail. And I came back into Arlington after a couple of years of being down here in Temple just to visit, and I ran into Chris. And I kind of knew the story of what had happened since that incident back in high school. I knew he had gone to jail for something else. And so I knew he'd gotten out, and I knew also that he had turned his life over to Christ fully at this point. And he was now working with teens in schools. And he was working with teens at a church. And I said, man, so, like, what is it like when you're in jail and, like, you know there's a date coming. It's like, you're going to be free. You're going to be, like, what is that like? And he goes, you know what? It's actually really kind of scary because after a year or two living in jail, you start to see yourself as a prisoner. You, you begin to see yourself as, this is what I know, this is what I, what I am, this is who I am. And so you begin to think of yourself as a prisoner. And he said, so honestly, freedom seemed scary when I first got out. I didn't know what to do. I think the same thing is true for us spiritually. When you've lived as a slave to sin for your whole life, freedom seems scary. To us. You see yourself as a prisoner. You see yourself as a slave. That's all you've ever known. And yet Christ offers you a new kind of life, and that actually seems kind of scary to you. And so this morning I want to encourage you, if you're not yet a believer, I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in him and his finished work for you on the cross. 
knowing it's scary, knowing freedom, this kind of freedom can be a scary thing for you. But putting your faith and trust in him in a way where you know he will walk with you as you live in this new reality. Because Christ wants to set you free this morning. Because here's the reality. You and I are slaves either way. Here's your choice. You have to serve sin or you get to serve Jesus. Those are your two choices. And Jesus is a much better master. I want to pray for you. God, we're just so grateful that you see fit to set us free from slavery, set us free from ourselves, set us free from our sin, set us free from our flesh. We thank you that we get to partake in your gospel, understanding who you are, who we are, apart from you, Lord. God, I pray for students that are here this morning, God, that that those that may not know you, they'd put their faith and trust in you this morning. I pray for those Christians that are here that are struggling to live in this new reality that Paul describes here, Father. Give us strength, Father, as we live out our faith, you walking by our side, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and finish up with your last several questions at your tables.